and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, the legend of all Boston basketball, the only legend of all Boston basketball, Matthew Penny is in the building. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm still wired. This is the, what, first day in the last six where we don't have games on all day from sunrise to sunset. I'm at the point my body hates me. I'm jacked up on caffeine and amino acids, but I'm I'm ready for more. It's weird to not have the fix today. Matt Penny is going to come at me like a spider monkey in this podcast. He's all jacked (laughs) up on Mountain Dew. Yeah, I have about 45 minutes left of Jack, and then it's uh, it's going to be a hard crash, I'm sure. Are you you a big Talladega Nights fan, Matt Penny? Uh, Big enough. Big enough, yeah. Are we, uh, the next time we see each other, are we going to just have a big feast of all of the random fast food joints like kfc taco bell we'll just have like a big uh big table spread like in some conference room it'll be great <laughs> yeah shake and bake sponsored by whatever uh light beverages is <laughs> a fan of the pot i guess oh my god okay no free ads yeah so today on the show we're gonna run through the ncaa tournament in terms of what we saw my brain is still like semi-functional because i've written like three 3,000 word stories over the course of the last two days. Additionally, I have also been having to wake up at 3 a.m. for a few of those days. I decided yesterday that I just wasn't going to wake up for the Gonzaga game because I figured they would win by 15, right? And they did. And thank you, Mark Few Gods. Thank you for helping me out. Uh, so I didn't even watch the Gonzaga game yesterday. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I, was, I was waiting. I didn't have a text during the game. And then it came like two hours later than I thought. I said, this guy's sleeping. I'm not going to call him out for it, but he's definitely sleeping. So you don't have to sweat the cover the last uh, 30 seconds for flagrant fouls. Yeah, I didn't bet the Gonzaga game. That was smart. But I did do well in the first round. I did okay in the second round. Illinois uh, losing to Loyola and Loyola just being like a fucking buzzsaw of efficiency. Uh was a problem for me in my bank account let's just put it that way um having said that we're going to talk all about the ncaa tournament and all about the prospects specifically that we saw within the ncaa tournament so far um over on the athletic later this week i'm gonna have a sweet 16 preview of prospects so we're not gonna like look forward too much we're mostly gonna look backward on this podcast so i think that the place that's worth starting here is Cade Cunningham, the conversation surrounding Cade Cunningham continues to be frustrating to me because it feels like people just don't understand how not great the team around him was. Maybe that's like a uh, a charitable way to put it. Like there were some athletic guys there like Avery Anderson and Isaac Likely, but none of these guys had any gravity as shooters. Nobody that played Oklahoma State throughout the course of the year gave a fuck whenever these guys took shots other than Avery Anderson. Like they went out and recruited the kid from Cal Baptist, Farron Flavors, who is already back in the transfer portal because I was gonna say, it's coming if it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah. He just couldn't get on the court for Oklahoma state. And that was supposed to be their like floor spacing option. I mean, I literally got a text from an NBA scout. I like, you know, shared it without saying who it was to you. The text was like, thank God we don't have to watch this fucking team anymore because it, it was more from an NBA draft perspective that scouts are just frustrated with watching Cade Cunningham have to deal with no space to operate. And I think that we really saw particularly Oregon state and Liberty as well, but more Oregon state just totally collapse on him. Every time he drove, there was no lane, nothing there. And 
I think that more than anything, it just goes to accentuate the difference in the geometry of the court between college basketball and the NBA. There are just no driving lanes in college basketball if your team does not have shooting. It is hard to find those spots. That's why you see Cade push in transition as hard as he does every time. It's because a lot of the time, that's really the only thing that's open for him to get a paint touch. So what were your thoughts on Cade Cunningham, the NCAA tournament performance of Cade Cunningham, and the conversation surrounding Cade Cunningham after we saw uh, Oklahoma State go out to Oregon State in the round of 32? I hate the conversation. I I sent you an article that I I saw after the first game that we laughed about saying that he was overrated and really has to step it up if they're going to win, which is probably true. He probably had to do more, which is a hard thing when you're already doing so much. We have to stop this. He was a first-team All-American he was player of the year in the Big 12. He averaged 20 points per game, six rebounds, three and a half assists. We're not going to truly appreciate his college run for probably another three to five years when we stop and and look at it. And the conversation's only going to continue because now Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley, just by by nature of everything we've <laughs> laughed about here, they're probably going to make the Final Four. And there'll be more articles of, hmm, is Cade really the number one guy in the draft? Still uh, a hard number one for me. He did all he could. He was doubled in the post, even in that Oregon State game, and he got frustrated. He was using that off arm when he did have a little bit of, I'd say, breathing room where he could drive the lane. He'd extend the off arm, and the scout now is when he goes, step up and take a charge or flop, whatever. He had a couple bad ones because of that. They just got in these such deep holes where he had to overcompensate and, and didn't look good, so he had to force the action more than he probably would like to. He did push and transition, can pull up a little bit from three. His step back has gotten really good, and the jumper has gotten better in college. I'll even argue that I'll get a, a step beyond that once he gets to the NBA, where he has more space to operate. I mean, I was watching the pulling my eyelids open to stay awake for USC last night against Kansas. USC shot 11 for 18 from three. And I just did wonder, because I'm a little bit of a kid apologist, if he had that type of shooting next to him, what will we be talking about today? And by the way, like USC, not a particularly good uh, shooting team in general this year. Like they have an okay shooting team, (laughs) but like for the most part, you know, this, this team does not take a ton of threes at USC is maybe the better way to put it. Like they make them when they take them, but not a ton of made threes this year for USC. Um, Totally agree. Like. Oklahoma State had some moments this year where they were okay at shooting the basketball. Uh, Like I said, like Avery Anderson is kind of a streaky shooter, but for the most part, he likes to operate in the mid-range off the bounce. Uh, I mean, like Bryce Williams started kind of hot, but wasn't really much of a shooter. Like Rondell Walker shot 33%. Here here are the percentages outside of Cade's 40% on 155 attempts. Avery Anderson, 32.8%. Ice likely took 18 three-point attempts. Bryce Williams, 31.8%. Keelan Boone, 27.1%. Rondell Walker, 33%. Farron Flavors, 26%. They had no other player on this team that could shoot three-pointers at volume over 34%. That is staggering in terms of the way that it will affect your offense if you're Oklahoma State and Cade still dominated you put him in an NBA situation with spacing it's gonna be curtains like I'm not worried at all this guy is still the number one pick ball handlers are incredibly important in today's NBA I'm not even a little bit worried 
about the way this is going to go. Like we we have we haven't even like I feel like seen the precipice of what Cade can be as a passer yet because of the lack of spacing that was around him this year and coming into college. I don't know if you agree with me on this. I thought Cade's passing was his best skill. Yeah, so like th- this is going to be fun like to me yeah. <laughs> this was this was just the beginning and the floor seemed a little bit more spaced when he was at Mount, Mount Verde Academy and could come off the Hot screen take. and not be <laughs> yeah. four lottery picks <laughs> yeah. will help it helps yeah and and uh yeah, I was just watching a, a clip today too. Like you forget, like Zeb Jackson was on that team, who will be good at Michigan. Like they yeah. Langston Lowe, who's committed to Baylor, who didn't play a lot. It's Caleb Houston Caleb was on Houston. that team, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah, yes, he was. So I don't. If you're just box score reading and you see that he went nine for thirty four in the tournament, and without the context of watching the game, the shots he had to take and probably force more than he would like to too, just because you need points on the board. They got down ten to fifteen early in that second game versus Oregon State, and he was doing everything he could to crawl back into the game, whether that meant taking three-pointers or, or going into lane knowing that the guy was going to rotate up. And when they blow the whistle, we still don't know a block and a charge, but I'm like, don't be on him. Don't take him out of the game. The slow starts are something that it didn't really give me pause, but just something to monitor. It did get kind of Anthony Edwards at Georgia E toward the end of the year where Kate averages 16 points per game in the second half. The first half, it's five or six. You want him to get going a little bit earlier. You said in your article when you interviewed him, he was just trying to like get his teammates involved early. I, I'd like in the NBA, he starts to get himself involved a little bit earlier in the offense. Yeah, and I, I think he will. Honestly, I do. I, I think that he will. And I think that also what you saw with this condensed lane with Cade was just generally the turnover number goes up, right? Because he has guys just scratching and clawing at the ball, just digging and, you know, just swiping and doing everything they can to get the ball. And that happens, right? Like, right. you're going to have naturally... If he's on the wing, too, and there's another point guard, it won't even happen as much. So early, I wouldn't say it's a detriment, but people are saying, okay, if he's not a point and he's on the wing, is he as valuable? I think he's more valuable as he can be a playmaker from the perimeter can switch up and be the the lead facilitator a little bit here and there with the ability to make threes and he won't have the pressure offensively like okay if I don't score here we might not score for the next three four possessions there's somebody to take the offensive load off what he's been expected to carry for the whole season okay so I still have Kate at number one I don't really have many concerns about that do you uh I assume you still have Kate at number one right He's one for me, yes. Yeah. Guards, wings, big wings, dominate the NBA. That's not changing. Yeah. We have a number of lottery picks still in this tournament right now. Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, Corey Kispert, Franz Wagner. That's six guys. That's almost half the lottery, which is pretty good for uh, a college basketball season. And these were guys that were lottery picks coming in to the NCAA tournament, let alone guys that jump up. What do you? What have your impressions been of some of these guys let's maybe start with Suggs and Mobley because they're the two that will get the most publicity and they're the two that are kind of chasing Cade Uh, I think you and I agree that it's very unlikely that they catch Cade but nonetheless I think that the conversation is going to turn to those guys now Uh, what have your impressions of Suggs and Mobley been? Gonzaga's been so dominant that it's hard to to really hone in on him as a prospect in the first round they won by 43, and the live spread in the second half got up to minus 50. So it was like a, a really hard game to use that as a gauge of where they're at. Yeah. Subs wasn't great. He was two for eight. It's 
points. The defense was really collapsing on his drives. They took a few charges. He did more than than the box. He was he was moving the basketball. Didn't try to force the issue aside from a deep three here or there. He advanced the ball really well. Locked in on Corey Kispert, which eventually opened up the driving lanes, like we just talked about for Cade, which he doesn't have the benefit of. Second game versus Oklahoma, four turnovers, had 16 points. He was five for 13, one for six from three. He started really well. Before that 16-minute timeout, he had two baskets. He had a back tap for a steal. He had a no-look full-court assist to Drew Timmy. He never got going from three, which is starting to be a little bit shakier. He hasn't had more than one three-pointer in a game since, like, February 8th. The positives here, defensively, he's like a free safety on the back line. He can pull rebound down, advance the ball for Kispert for a finish. He then took a charge the next play on Austin Reeves to get his second first-half foul. So he's smart in that respect. The shooting is what I'm kind of starting to be a little bit hung up on and enters the conversation of, okay, is this guy two if we're saying he does all this stuff and now all of a sudden people are going under on ball screens because they don't trust that he can consistently hit from three. No, I think that's totally right. I mean, we've mentioned the shooting for Jalen throughout the course of the year as being like the concern if you're going to have one. I'll be interested. I think that he is going to be a guy that if you go under a ball screen, he's going to be able to shoot it. And I think that, again, as he gets a bit more space to operate, those windows, yeah, they close quicker, but they tend to be a bit bigger too you know what i mean just because they close quicker because guys are bigger and longer but they tend to be a bit bigger like there's a reason that like most threes that are taken in the nba come with six feet of like space between the closest defender and the shooter it's really hard to cover that ground yeah and that's kind of and the flip side of that just to kind of transition to to Corey kispert here he's been awesome he flamethrower just flamethrower yeah 10 for 17 from three and Suggs knows where to find him. He is like yeah. to to use our football analogy. He's like a quarterback honing in on his number one receiver out there. Like <laughs> I was going to use the earpiece thing. I'm like I'm going full football. Kispert he made shots everywhere imaginable. Off movement, feet set, rotating to open spots on drives, and he gets this certain look when he gets hot, and it's like just run back on defense. It's so deflating right. as a defender because even Norfolk State they knew this was the scouting report. They closed out hard and tried. But the defense, like, they, you, you couldn't stop them. They just, like, close out their hand up, like, whatever, dude, hit the shot. Like, we're, we're going to go back here. To have him as this ultimate bailout guy, constantly in motion. So even when it looks like it's a dead-end possession, you stop your dribble, looks like you're going to be tied up. He comes darting around the corner, spots, you hit him for a three, and it's just completely backbreaking. So I wouldn't say he's necessarily helped or hurt his stock. He's just more, it, it's showing more of what he is that we've seen all year long. Yeah, I mean, Corey Kispert just is who he is, right? Like, there, he, he's been this guy now the entire season, and the consistency is great, right? Like, he dropped 23 against Kansas in the opener. He dropped 23 against Norfolk State in the opener of the NCAA tournament, right? Like, right. he just yeah. is an absolute monster. I mean, he averages 19 points a game and shoots 46% from three, and uh, he's at almost 55 45 90 right now like i mean the guy is ridiculous so i think that it's just an easy translation for Corey kispert i don't think that we need to like dive deep into him uh evan mobley's been interesting so far it was funny we were texting with one of our uh friends in the middle of mobley's first game like in a group text and 
he was like just like kind of fucking with me i'm pretty sure to be honest just going <laughs> evan mobley stinks <laughs> and uh, i think you responded all caps i am here for this so yeah you, you're here for this and now this is your actual show so you can be heard for this as well i needed the take i needed the take badly uh in my life and his opinion was like Mobley just isn't doing enough on offense and was kind of floating on the perimeter and doing things like that. And then against Kansas, he took six shots, right? Like he was not uh, a particularly active offensive player in that game because everyone else on the team was particularly active offensively in that game uh, against Drake, though. I thought he was a monster. Like, I thought he was so good on defense. I think Drake, what was the number? It was like 13 of 48 from two-point range in that game, and he played 38 minutes in that game. He was the sole reason why Drake could not score inside. Had 11 rebounds, was a good passer in that game. Uh, Took his spots where he found them on offense, like made one of his four three-point attempts. He took a bunch of them, which was a bit weird for him. But for the most part, like I thought Evan Mobley was very good this weekend. But again... I like I think he's more in the 3 to 5 range just because he's a center at the end of the day and it's just hard in the modern NBA and even like in a college game like this for a center to have the kind of offensive impact that you're looking for in the modern league whenever you're drafting in the top five and that, that's okay totally. like like right. he's, no i, he's I totally great. agree and i don't want to undersell him he he is great he had 17 points that first game on 715 shooting Dake, um, Dake, geez. Drake dared him to shoot from three yeah. and preferred that he beat them there rather than the post. And then uh, I think it was later in the game they tried denying him. He cut back door. He caught it and finished. He was too big and long for Drake to handle once he did get into the post. And I thought it was a complete game. Uh, th- there was one play where he didn't block the shot, but he changed kind of the trajectory of it and then trailed the play, caught it, hit the post. Then he dove down the lane, caught it, and scored. Yep. That like those type of things, we've said it often here. Just the fluidity and dexterity he has to do that is impressive. Crazy. The second game yep. they blow out Kansas. David McCormick, kind of like Darnell Brody did for for Drake, they bumped him around a little bit, and he wasn't able to always hold his ground. But he has such a length that he was able to block shots, chain shots. The offensive end, he was still able to extend and, and shoot over the top, and has a soft touch. I have concerns about him being able to do that against NBA guys who are built more David McCormicky, but athletic and get up and down. And he's going to be able to have to build his base so he can create space and not be pushed off his spot. But last night he spread out to shooters. We said it, he would, they were 11 for 18. USC was from three, had a couple really nice interior passes for dunks. And his brother, Isaiah was actually a story with 17 points and eight rebounds, but he, he fits in so well within a a game plan offensively but with the nba the way it's trended lately and the way it's played i totally agree with you that it's hard to leave a a jalen suggs jalen green and you could sell me on kaminga if he gets to a workout can hit some shots of taking a long look at those guys before you talked about evan mobley and not a knock he is he's very very good and they can continue this crazy run in the pac-12 being way better than everyone thought they would but it's not a he's not marker in is number two for me right now yeah no and I, I think i would take him three right now but it's just very difficult to make the kind of impact that you need to to be worth a top three pick in a draft like this particularly right like evan mobley would have gone number one last year without any questions we agree with that right yes like he is a drastically better prospect than jalen or uh, i'm sorry than james wiseman 
we agree with that, right? Yes. Like, just much more skilled, much more offensive game. Uh, I frankly think he's a better positional defender than what James Wiseman was, and he moves way better uh, on the perimeter in terms of his hip flexibility, in terms of his lateral agility, like everything there. He is just a much better prospect, in my opinion. Um, Having said that, in a draft like this, where there are four other real all-star level talents, all of whom project to potentially be perimeter scorers if Jonathan Kaminga's jump shot comes together, it's it's hard it's really hard to make like a really high level case to draft him ahead of uh Cade cunningham certainly i'm i like jalen suggs a lot and i like evan mobley i kind of think that you just almost always have to take the guard in these circumstances yeah. given how it, important they are for a, a callback actually i don't know if it was this part or the real gm pod you did with uh was it oh Danny? you listen thank you that's so I'm nice. I think it was Danny LaRue. Was it? <laughs> it was. Yeah, I don't, it I don't was. Who was it? It was Danny. Okay, Danny. I, I think this is his. He talked about the haunting theory. It's like, who, who's going to haunt you if you pass on him? The way the NBA is right now, Jalen Green and, and Jay, the Jalens would haunt me, I think. Yeah. Evan Mobley, like, if, if he pans out, it's like, ah, crap. You know, he, he was really good. He was a center. We should have saw it. He's he's more, don't jump out a window. He's more giannis than he is... Chris Boshy, like he can play, he can switch that maybe, but the 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 guards, the wings, those would be the ones that haunt me. End of the day. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, the other guy here that I really wanted to take some time to talk about is Scotty Barnes, and Scotty was interesting over the weekend. They kind of blew out uh, Colorado late in that game uh, to get to the Sweet Sixteen, and then against UNC Greensboro it was a weird game like it felt like they were in full control the whole time while being like two and a half to three possessions ahead of them on the score line the whole game uh scotty barnes has taken four shots so far in the ncaa tournament hasn't hasn't really decided to go for it on offense yet he's got 10 points he also was really good against colorado i thought like six points but he had five assists he had three steals he was great defensively um only played 22 minutes and only uh like had one foul so like it's not like he was in foul trouble the whole game or anything um but i thought the minutes that he played were really strong like the the lineups that they were running out with just him and raekwon gray like those lineups are monsters it is so hard to deal with those uh, small ball florida state lineups that are bigger and longer than you are almost regardless of the time um with just those two but also the four and the five are essentially the point guards who bring the ball up the court with raekwon gray and scotty barnes like it's a total inversion of how they run things uh or of how most teams run things yeah it doesn't make a ton of sense on paper when raekwon gray is coming off ball screens and then you have scotty barnes kind of playing point guard that can switch one through five defensively he can rotate He's super versatile defensively covering ground and switching. That's, to me, by far his, his best skill. The offense scares me. I know it's only been four shots, and he tried to get the ball more early into the post with balls that had 13 points that first game. Rickon Gray had 17-7. and seven. It's more the, the ball skills on the perimeter when he's doubled or trapped, hit a, a bad turnover on an advanced pass against UNC Greensboro, had a turnover late when he turned his back and, and tried to play point guard and Isaiah Miller from UNC Greensboro is uh, an also a monster, albeit a smaller monster, especially defensively, and he does that. But they lost possession there. 
really still like him in in the dunk spot and making plays from the mid post that elbow if they do some big to big ball screen stuff off there he's great it's just the him trying to be a point guard and it's not always him being a point guard either because he'll bring the ball up and as soon as he crosses half court hits the wing and dives so it's like it's not even really point guard type stuff but i just don't love it when he has the freedom to kind of try to create a play i I like him more as like a, a second option guy maybe coming off a screen attacking versus shifting defense rather than like we're going to give him the ball and have him run the offense yeah scotty is to me a really high level role player and that's like people are going to take that the wrong way i i hope they don't like i think scotty barnes can be like a top 50 player in the nba as a role player um but i think that's what he is like i, I don't I don't see enough creation skill from him. Having said that, like there were some flashes against Colorado, even though he's taken four shots in 45 minutes or whatever in the <laughs> right. NCAA tournament. Like yeah. there was one play against Colorado where he went around a ball screen, kind of took like a mini Euro step, planted on his left foot, jumped off of one foot, turned his body in midair, took like a one-handed floater where the ball looked like a grapefruit in his hand and just like put it in and, they got called for some weird off ball foul or something that made the shot not count. But it was, it was like a really impressive, like little in between move that flashed and like was actually very impressive. I thought that kind of showcased some real ball skill, uh, that he hasn't just shown a crazy amount of this year. He's a great passer. We know that he's a okay rebounder. Like if, if something worries me about Scotty Barnes, it's almost that I think he should be a better rebounder for his size, given that I think a real number of scenarios for him end with him playing like as a small ball five to get the most out of him. Not uh, not a negative. Uh, I'm asking this. Sure. At Mount Verde Academy, you could, you could even argue he was the MVP, which sounds crazy. He was the lifeblood of that team. He was an energy giver, yep. culture carrier, whatever term you want to use. He was as important as Cade Cunningham was. They've been talked about as the best high school team of the last 20 years, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And you, you talk to people he, like around like Scotty Barnes and around that program, like like he's the guy. Like they, yeah. Everybody loves Scotty in terms of like the way that he just provides energy and provides real like real pop you know what i mean yeah if this is who he is if if we are saying he's this super role player in the nba are you okay then taking him sixth in the draft right now honestly i think i kind of am like i i just don't know what else is out there like, I, I think Moses Moody is going to be a great player. I think he's going to be a really good role player, though. Like, I think that, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the Tennessee guys. We're going to talk about right, Book Knight. Yeah, like, yeah. Corey Kispert's going to be a great player. He's going to be a really good role player, though. Like, I, I don't know that there's... Like, I do feel you, like you, the, 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 the upside of Scotty Barnes's frame and defensive potential and versatility and passing, to me, is a little bit higher than most of those guys right now with scotty and with kispert if you're getting exactly what we have now and the the ceiling is just kind of where they are right now the those are things you have to kind of juggle too if if kispert is just this kind of rotational floor spacer who you really have to recognize on the floor even if he's not getting shots because you have to respect that if he does 
catch the ball he's going to fire it and it's going to go in it's just it doesn't seem as big of like this this wild swing and that's okay at, at six and seven and we don't know who's going to kind of shake out in that range i'm just curious as as what your take is but if you think he's a, a role player that can do a little bit of everything and you see him kind of on this contender, his playoff team, and maybe he's not scoring, but he steps up and takes a charge and gets two assists when he didn't think he would, and he runs some isolation from the elbow for him for a big basket, then I can get on board with him being in that range. Yeah, and, like, it's going to depend on the team, too, right? Like, if I was Houston, and, well, Houston's a bad example because Houston can't have a pick outside of the top four this year. Uh, if it is outside of the top four, it goes to Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma City has all the picks, so let's just do Oklahoma City. So if it's Oklahoma City, like I probably would take them. But if it's like Orlando, right, where Orlando has all of these fours and needs more creation and like doesn't have that guy there, I would not take Scotty Barnes. Um, if I was Washington, and I've having said that, like they just took Rui Achimura and Denny Avdia. And Denny, yeah. I probably would still consider Scotty Barnes there, to be honest, because they have it. Well, it depends on what they want to do with Bradley Beal, too. But if like they think they're keeping Bradley Beal long term and they're going to try and find another creator, or they're going to make it work with Russ. Like I would consider that Cleveland. God, I would absolutely take Scotty Barnes there. They have their creators like they have the guys that they think can be creative. So if they end up at six, which is where they are right now, and there isn't like that super high level guy like that team is begging for Cade Cunningham given that oh no question yeah Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are just like scorers at this point but if they end up like at six where Cade Cunningham and these other top four guys uh top five guys are not in the picture then yes please like I, I think I would take Scotty Barnes there uh Toronto which hilariously is sitting at seven right now because they're 17 and 26 I mean, look, they have Fred Van Vliet, they have Pascal Siakam, they have shot creators. Again, like that's a situation where, can you imagine Toronto being able to like trot out OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam? Like, that's a fucking Looks terrifying yeah. front court. Yeah. I, I, not to go full NBA podcast here, but do you think that Scotty Barnes and Isaac Okoro could play together on the same court if we're saying offensively they're both semi-limited in the scoring department? I mean, I guess Garland and Sexton will take the shots for everybody. But you want probably something out of one of those guys. You do, but like I just think Scotty's a lot better than Isaac Okoro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's not. I don't, I don't mean to like negatively hammer Isaac Okoro, who I think is having an incredible defensive season for a 19 year old rookie in the NBA, and looks like a potential defense guy long term. But like Isaac Okoro's six six with a six eight wingspan, something like that, six nine wingspan. Like Scotty Barnes is six foot nine with a seven foot three wingspan. Yeah, like right. just from a physical dimensions perspective. These dudes are on different planes while having similar skill sets. Yeah, and would have to share the floor a little bit, but that's the uh, that's the fun part of when they actually the ping pong balls settle and we say, all right, that guy can fit there, he doesn't fit there. Actually, that's kind of cool that he could be on Toronto with that lineup, and and that's when it more materializes and comes to life rather than us saying oh, he's sixth, he's eighth, he might be tenth, he might be fourth, just depending on what the team has and what contracts they have tied up. Yep. Um, Moses Moody and Franz Wagner. Uh, I think I've decided that I would have Moody at seven right now. Um, Franz Wagner would be like end of the lottery still for me. Uh, What have you thought of those two? I I really liked Wagner's game against LSU yesterday, particularly. Um, 
And then Moses Moody got going in their second round game as well against Texas Tech for a little while. Wagner from Michigan, he picks his spot so well. He doesn't try to overly assert himself, and that's, he stands out by not standing out and doing it that way. Defensively, he wasn't on the all-defense team, I think, in conference, which is kind of wild. Baffling. He's very good. Yeah. He, Jamari really good Wheeler run. is a six-foot-one point guard <laughs> from Penn State. You're telling me that... Get him out of here. He is so good at the point of attack that he's more valuable than Franz Wagner on Michigan, who had the best defense in the league and a top-five defense in the country all year. No disrespect to Jamari Wheeler, yes. but get out of yes. here, man. Like, come on, guys. He had, <laughs> Figure he, your shit out in the Big Ten. <laughs> Yeah, we're off the rails. Uh, 15 points, 7 rebounds yesterday. Had the big finishing touch with the dunk toward the, the end of the game. I love for Wagner when he curls on those screens into the lane and plays downhill. And the defense is kind of chasing him. He has the opportunity there to use creativity with runners and lobs, depending on the defense. Just consistently. Know what you're getting. Nothing flashy, but it's uh, it's the same thing night in, night out. And then with Moses Moody, you know, Moody was fascinating because I thought that he had an incredible matchup against Colgate. And I also thought Justin Smith had an incredible matchup. And at the end of the day, they just turned to Justin Smith a bunch and just let him hammer Colgate because nobody could deal with him athletically. Um, against Texas Tech, though, I thought Moody was super smart at letting the game come to him. Uh 6 of 11, 15 points, had 6 rebounds, you know, didn't make a ton of threes. Uh, I think that he went like 2 of 7, 2 of 6, something like that from 3, but just was a really smart, solid player. Like, it's just like a tailor-made fit for the next level, I think, very easily. He's a spacer. Early in that Tech game, his man wasn't helping off him, so when the ball was reversed, he didn't go into help. He just, like, stayed hugged up on him. But guys wait, and, and they slip. Eventually it comes, and there's one miscommunication on a switch, and he hit a three to get going in the second half. And yeah. that's really all he needs. And the game was a lot more physical on both ends, and he's able to adapt and play that way. Like, he likes contact in the lane, so he was unbothered. He took some guys to the mid post and kind of bullied them down and faded away. If it goes up and down, he's fine running the lanes in transition, pulling up from three. What he's able to do and, and kind of adjust on the fly is also appealing from a, a 3 and D wing who can do more than the traditional 3 and D label, I would say. Yeah, I agree. The only thing that worries me about Moody is he doesn't really make high-level reads. Everything is an escape pass with him, like at almost every single time. If it's against high-level defenders, it's either um, – I'm driving to score or I'm escape passing. I think that that's the one thing he needs to improve. He needs to be more damaging as a passer. Totally. And I've never seen him not be able to get off that, that pullback jump or the crossover backwards when he wants to. Yep. But the next level is probably the guy freezes. You take one more dribble, kick out, and, and cut, something like that. It, it is limited and kind of you get the blinders when he's like, I'm going to score. He tries to go and score. Totally. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to run through uh, almost like rapid fire with some guys that we want to just talk about that are either big stories right now or are high-level draft prospects. Okay, we're back. Penny, who do you want to start with on our list here? We have a big group of guys that we wanted to run through. Hmm, let me see. Let's go in order. Do you want to do James Booknight? Let's do Booknight. That's a good one. Uh, Booknight struggled in their game against Maryland and struggled in a way that feels somewhat concerning because 
Maryland just turned Daryl Morsell against him, and Morsell is the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten, and that just did not work for Book Knight. He had uh, 15 points on 16 shots, five rebounds, three turnovers. Just was not very good in that game. One of six from three, and needed a bounce back for me following that lukewarm Big East tournament where I kind of gave the hand wave, like, all right, he was bad in two of them. He had cramps. He'll be fine here. Maryland defensively was great. They switched one through four on ball screens, even with Dante Scott defensively for the Terps, and he just didn't have many free looks. Morsell locked and trailed on pin downs. He had difficulty doing anything then when they switched into zone because his mid-range stuff is so effective. He went for that two dribble. He covers ground. He has two people meeting him there. They really packed it in, had that help man ready to rotate and challenge him. He had one one possession where he danced a little bit too much with the ball. He miraculously like spun, ended it with like a lefty scoop shot. It's made all the highlight videos. And now if you go online and you're on Instagram and, and the million accounts on there say, you know, James Booknight, like, look what he's got in his package. It gets ten thousand likes. It's like, guys, he wasn't he wasn't great there. I, I still really like him as a prospect, but I just didn't like the trajectory he finished the year on. Yeah, I agree. I would like to see Booknight be much better as passer i would like to see him be much better in terms of decision making for when to chase his shot almost uh i thought the coach that i talked to brought up something really interesting that played them in the big Ten or the big east this year he mentioned that book Knight is really good at kind of changing paces when he wants to like he's not just like the straight line driver athlete that he gets credit for all the time like he actually is fluid it changing pace and like really uh like putting the brakes on stopping and making it difficult for defenders i would kind of just like to see him do more of that like i feel like he doesn't do it enough for it to work um also just extremely poor from three this year uh we, we can just say that right like the thing with book night that everyone wanted to see was the improvement from three and it just never came like if anything he got worse as the season progressed and looked like he got hurt right uh if I remember correctly, it was his left elbow, not his right elbow, yes. um, that saw the injury. So it wasn't like the shooting arm or anything. But like, look, all this shit matters. Like, it all comes into play. And I think that we have to consider the fact that maybe the injury held him back as a shooter a little bit. He's a consistent 80% free throw, or, uh, free throw shooter. So maybe he can be something better as a shooter. I don't think that the shot looks broken by any stretch of the imagination. But like... For him to work at the next level, it has to be as a scorer. He doesn't bring enough else. Like, he's a good defender. He's not, like, all-league defender. He is a shot maker who can cut and who can drive and who can change paces and who can score and get a bucket. <laughs> to do that, you got to shoot it. And I don't know that we've seen enough from him as a shooter on the move yet. No, not yet. That that inside-out dribble where he kind of freezes the defender and then goes is really good. He he couldn't do it in the Maryland game. They they took him out of his game, and they were just ready to help and, and say, okay, we're going to go in zone. Not only you beat us from deep, everyone beat us from deep. He'll be better, too, like the a lot of these guys we're talking about here, when the offense is spread out more, where he's not the primary scoring guy every single possession. It, it's yep. just going to be putting more shooters around him, too, that will allow him to operate off the dribble there won't be as much help i'm not worried about him still a top 10-ish guy for me just probably slid maybe a spot or two i think i'm a little bit more worried than you are um (laughs) okay long long pause i didn't know if that was like yeah good next guy or yeah i'm worried yeah no I'm, i'm a little bit more worried than you are i don't know where he's gonna end up on my board um but 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned, but we can move on because we wanted to go a little bit quicker through these guys. Uh, the Tennessee guys, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. I mean, look, Tennessee just didn't show up in this game. <laughs> like, <laughs> Cut to the chase. Okay, next on the board, Chris Duarte. Okay, you keep going. Let, let's just be real about it. Like, they were fucking terrible against Oregon State. <laughs> Double down, yeah. They were. They were. They were not very good. They scored 56 they down, points. They down, yeah, they were down 19 with 60 minutes to play. And they had 19 points the, the, in the first half. <laughs> they were just chasing. It was chasing. It was chasing to to see how much they could cut it. And a lot of their points, Keon had 14, Jaden had 12, were late in the game yep. where they're down by so many. It's like, okay, whatever. Have the layup. We're still up by 20. Right. Exactly. Uh, Keon, I am pretty worried about the jump shot with him. Like, I'm actually, like, extremely worried about the jump shot. Where are you? Uh, also worried. And I don't. I also don't want to take anything away from Oregon State because they had a great scout where they were cutting off Keon's drives baseline, and then they sent, like, that second man to, to rotate and double-team middle, and he didn't really know what to do. They stymied any of that action. He tried some jump passes, which weren't great. I, I'm just kind of a little bit at a loss. It, he, he does match the physical profile. I like what he does defensively. Uh, I like his explosiveness, his athleticism. I, I, I have no idea about the offense. They're, the games, the 27-point game, or I don't have it in front of the game log, against Kentucky, he had a couple others. It's like, okay, the switch is on. This is this is the guy that you had, I think, fifth, has been around the 6th yeah. to 10th in everyone else's mock draft. Like, this makes sense. And he had 14 points on 6 to 16 shooting. It, it wasn't like a an impactful 14 points. No, it was bad. Um, he reminds me a lot of Chris Dunn at this point. Ooh, why? Tell me more on that. So Dunn was obviously like more of a point, but obviously Tennessee plays Keon at the point a decent amount. Yeah. Um, Dunn, when you watched him, was real. He had a better handle, but it was still a high handle, and he could get into the paint because he was just a little bit more comfortable getting into the paint. Honestly, when Dunn was early in his career at uh, Providence, it was not this easy and he had to deal with some injuries obviously as well um super high level defender super high effort level defender at six foot four six foot five with like a six eight six nine six ten wingspan something like that really does a great job on the ball really i think is going to make an impact on that level in the nba offensively the jump shot is not very good even done made shots uh at providence those last two years he was not a good shooter could make high level passes but super high level turnover guy too not a player that you super trust finishing around the basket like in terms of craft you would say right super very explosive and throws down crazy dunks but like the craft sure. isn't there yet right yeah no i agree with that and, and dunn was up from around me, played in Connecticut. He was on the same grassroots team as Andre Drummond. Pretty good one-two punch. Don, to me, was a little bit, I don't want to say explosive, because Keon's more explosive jumper, but maybe like the first step to get into the lane yeah. had a little bit more length. Uh, I, I get the, I guess the the profile of what you say of their offensive package, rather than just like a, an independent, one-off individual skill. Right. If Chris Dunn is in this draft, in retrospect, are you taking him sixth? No. Right, so who's the, the the battle for six is is going to be an ongoing thing here until July, whatever when the draft is. I'll be honest; I don't think Keon is in that battle. Yeah, I think he'll be in the battle. He'll be in the conversation. People are going to be too intrigued with just watching the clips and what he can do, and maybe the offense where it really wasn't catered to him. And when they let him run, who's a little bit better? It'll, it'll, it'll we'll have to wait and see who has that pick and what the workouts kind of look like. But I would be surprised if he's not at least talked about there. 
he might be talked about, but I, I don't think he's the guy. Like, I I don't think that he's... He might be in conversations, but you are not coming to this party with us. Uh, he's not that big. Like, he's very skinny. He's not you wildly took a, You long. took a hard turn. He was your guy earlier. I know, but it's it's tough at this point. Like, what do we, what do, we do with this sample? The sample is not great. He's a 52% true shooting percentage. And this is, like, not a situation like Georgia, where he wasn't surrounded by talent. Um, you could say he wasn't surrounded by shooting, for sure i think but like teams respected Jaden springer out there they respect victor bailey out there they certainly respect viscovi out there like tennessee plays that goofy ass like you know post-up offense that doesn't really work (laughs) yes offense that people run for 50 years yeah that's outdated but yeah i I get it having fulkerson stand there and ease pawns and they did better toward the end of the year playing one of them and not both of them at the same time the sample right. thing is interesting because it is two games. We're kind of giving our, our hot takes here, and but we, goes that, I guess that's my thing, though. Like four for twenty, we're like, no, it's fine. So we can we can brush this off. How much do we say it's it's age? How much do we say Keon's gonna get better? Jaden Springer's really young. He's gonna get better. Where's the the healthy medium? I guess that we meet in the middle. But I, I guess like that's my thing. Like this is not reactive. Like if anything, we were not reactive to what we saw with Keon early in the season right sure we're done team now. was five team was all the team was also to your, your shooting woes thing one of my notes i, I forgot to mention they were five for 26 from three that game doesn't help anything from a four spacing perspective true so spring springer had to Jaden springer for tennessee his shot creation stuff off the dribble he used his shoulders to bump he had to go a little bit faster and quicker to it because they were down by so many so his shot selection had got so much better throughout the year, this felt like a little bit of a step backwards, but it was also a byproduct of what the score was. So, and look, like from February onward, so 12 games for Keon Johnson, he averaged 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, negative assist turnover ratio, 30.1% from three, 45% from the field. He was better uh, late in the season. He was much better late in the season as he continued to get some run. There's still a lot of skill-based holes there. Like, I would absolutely take Keon Johnson somewhere around, like, number 10 and be okay with it. Yeah. But for number, like, for the number six conversation, like, I, I don't think I'm there, to be honest. I think that it's going to take some time. Like, and I, I still like Keon Johnson as a prospect. I just don't think that he's, like, I, I would much rather take the certainty that comes with Moses Moody at this point. I agree. This is just a hard turn from you, so I'm, I'm processing on the fly, too. I'm super, like honestly, I'm surprised the Keon didn't work as well as I thought he would this year. Um, it like it's not like a significant drop. Like he drops from five to ten on my board, right? Yeah, yeah. it's still you're, a win you're, for you're him. Still, still all right, yeah, yeah. Um, but would you say him or Jaden Springer had a better year? Man, splitting hairs. I, I guess I would say I'd say Springer had a better year than I thought he would have. So because of that, I'd say the better year Springer, I would certainly pick Keon Johnson before him. Similarly, I would not take either of those guys sixth. Tenth, tenth, like, okay, it's a different conversation, but sixth scares me. So I would I would still probably take Keon Johnson ahead of Jaden Springer. I think Keon's defensive upside is a little bit better than Springer's defensive upside. For what it's worth, though, even Jaden was much better than Keon from what let's say they started playing in december because they yeah. started late yeah. um through january he was much better than keon even you look at like the big stretch of games that we just talked about with keon where he was much better later Jaden springer was still better than he was he averaged 15 4 and 3 
didn't have a negative assist turnover ratio, although it was close, hit 37% from three on increased attempts from three, like he started taking three attempts from three per game, didn't finish as well as Keon because he decides to like leap into guys off of two feet every time, which is going to have to fit, like change somehow. But I mean, like Jaden Springer was better than Keon Johnson kind of across the board this year. As as a production value, yes. As, as yeah. a prospect, I, I'd still, if you if we chopped up some film and said, here's this guy's prospect tape for three minutes, here's Springer's for three minutes, Keon's would probably look better. The flashes are better bit. from Keon. Agreed. Yeah, f- flashes are better, and you can, it's more translatable to the, the style that a lot of teams are going to play in the NBA. The last thing I want to note here on, we're going to talk about the Tennessee guys a lot, I'm sure. Um, throughout the course of the next few months. But we're not going to talk a lot about Oregon State. And I just want to shout out Oregon State. They were the prospect killer in this tournament. They <laughs> knocked out Oklahoma State. They knocked Thanks out... for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we went on this big thing about how we wanted more than anything. We needed... Uh, we really needed to see Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer against Cade Cunningham. And in the end, Oklahoma or Oregon State just... <laughs> killed our dreams so yeah. good for them killing our dreams we, we didn't get it and and i tweeted that i said we had talked about on the pod about that matchup in in the first round and then um chris duarte from oregon and bones highland from vcu and vcu unfortunately had a a covid situation so because of protocol they didn't play so i i tweeted that just as like we can't have nice things just from a, a prospect <laughs> snapshot and you retweeted it, and you have a, a far larger following than me. And, and somebody responded and said, "That's really what we should be worrying about right now." I'm like, I'll just shut up. I, I won't guys, post anything anymore. <laughs> guys, like we we want to care about things. Yeah. Like there are things that we care about. We're not diminishing the fact that VCU has a COVID issue. Like, no, not at all. We wish the best of VCU. Please, I hope you're all healthy. I hope you're all okay. Um, but yeah, no, it, Oregon State deserves a lot of credit for their improvement defensively throughout the course of the year uh really really just solid and steady and stout um and they found shot making from guys like gerard lucas um do you remember uh lucas as well on the au circuit he's an adidas guy he played with compton magic if i remember correctly yeah just the name i I don't see a ton of the adidas guys just because it's so much under armor heavy stuff yeah and and i also want to shout out uh Wareth Alatiche, who I think did a really good job just with his athleticism and kind of bodying up uh, in both of those games. Uh, like the big dude, Roman Silva at seven foot one, like he kind of shut down the paint. I-, I thought that Oregon State did a really, really good job against both of those teams. The, the crazy thing that's not like kind of talked about either is we have these sibling father-son storylines of, of Buddy Beheim and Jim Beheim and, and Evan Mobley and his dad and, and Isaiah Mobley, Cade uh, Cunningham, also his brother, his assistant coach. But forgotten is that Oregon State also did the same move with Ethan Thompson, his dad's assistant coach, and you just kind of like forget about it. And he had 20-something points that game, and this is probably what he signed up to do when, when they went there. Like this all panned out and... Maybe the the Pac-12 didn't get enough credit because they're on so late and people didn't watch them, but they've gone above and beyond or were staring down a a USC-Oregon match in the Sweet 16. All right, you brought up Duarte a minute ago. Duarte only got one game, but oh boy, oh boy, was he good in that one game against Iowa. (laughs) He had all the games, yeah. Yeah, uh, 23 points, 7 assists, just it was a murder show. (laughs) <laughs> show, 23 points on 12 shots too and he knocked down threes he moved the ball 
just to just kind of get a little bit more rapid fire here, sort of a four hour episode. It, yeah, it it's, was. He's a very he's a very not smart really player. from three from Duarte either. No. He was a great three point shooter. It was mostly in the lane. And that's the adjustments he made. He had one play where he had a step back on the left baseline for a jumper. Very next play, he does the same thing. The defender bites, so he pump fakes, steps through. It's a foul for an and one. To make that adjustment on the fly shows that he's more than a three-point shooter, and I am fine if he's just a three-point shooter the way he shoots it. Yeah. I think he's a top-20 guy at this point. Thank you. I, got- I, I said it I said it too, and I'm, I'm probably getting to a, a bad level of uh, intensity with Chris Duarte, but I'm watching the game, and I'm just yelling at my buddies. Like, who will, if he's 20th, like... I don't understand if he's not twentieth. Yeah, I know he's I, old. I don't care. Like what he does, he had the. He also had another play where he pump fake Garza from the baseline. I thought he was going to shoot it. He drove. It's like what are you doing? He hit a guy in the opposite baseline for another three. Yeah, uh, yeah that, those are my uh, my fan club plugs for the day. Yeah, that ruled. Uh, I'm excited to see Duarte against Evan Mobley again. That's going to be a great little matchup. Uh, I'll talk about that at some point later this week, though. Let's do Greg Brown and Kai Jones real quick. I don't really have strong Kai Jones thoughts uh, to end the season. The whole Texas situation was just a disaster. They were terrible against Abilene Christian. Um, Nobody seemed to enjoy playing with Andrew Jones by the end of the year. Uh, Matt Coleman was super smart and steady, but he's only one guy. Courtney Ramey can shoot, I guess. But like they, they didn't have a real idea of how to attack Abilene Christian at all. After winning the Big Twelve tournament, right? Yeah. It was um Which is which is which is bizarre. You think you'd you'd ride that wave into Remember the next week though or two or they only had to win two games to do that. <laughs> Technically. Kai still runs the court unbelievably for his size. He had a dunk at the end of the first half. He shows some of those stretch four attributes that are so appealing. He had one crazy Euro step from like the left baseline, just finished fluidly and with balance. And it's like, uh, you get it. Uh, uh, if, if anyone ended, was good in that game, it was Kai Jones. <laughs> and, and, well, the the defense there at the end of the game, too, he, he blew. It was a switch. There's some miscommunication, but he's so athletic that he still switched back. And who's athletic enough to recover, stay with the ball handler, he blocked the shot. Unfortunately, somebody rebounded it and, and finished the next one. That wasn't on him for a foul. But you, you see, ah, man, the intrigue, the upside appeal. We, we've said it all along. Probably mid-first-round-ish guy for me. He's going to look unbelievable in workouts is my, my other hot take. And I yeah. can see people start to say, well, maybe it's the system. Maybe if he had a little more freedom, he could have been a little better. Oh, you know, we, we just mentioned, like, what guys will be in the conversation for number six. Someone's going to bring him up for the number six pick. Oh, that that's that's happening. Uh, yeah. Someone could get us crazy and, and be like, well, if you put the tape next to Evan Mobley, it's just like, stop it. No, no, we're not. We're not going to go that crazy. We're but not, I will but, say. But wait, that we, we have many months to the draft. Someone's going to write the article. Watch. <laughs> oh, God, we really have such contempt for people. Um, <laughs> we Greg Brown now. Greg Brown played yes. six minutes in this game. Uh, Greg Brown played, what was it against uh, Oklahoma State? Also six minutes I'm looking at here. He played six 13. Was it 13 the night before? Yeah. Against yep. against Texas Tech. By the end of the year, it just seemed like Shock Smart was done with this dude. Yeah, it appears that just based on the playing time, he had that blow up. We discussed that last episode here of the pod. and He just had to battle back from uh, really being in the doghouse. It will be something to watch on how NBA teams look at guys like him or even a Jalen Johnson who opted out, left, whatever you want to say, 
and the team was a little bit better when they weren't playing and those guys are still talked about as first round picks uh the tape may tell you otherwise if you you chop up some blocks and him hitting threes and and switching but not the the best showing at the end of the year not what you want to kind of have as your your final note i don't think he's declared for the draft yet but i assume that he would and he will i I mean he has to go somewhere because i don't think he can go there again um (laughs) well just listen be in the transfer portal everyone in college basketball you're in a transfer portal or you're declaring for the draft if you're not one or the other i don't know what you're doing right now so we'll, we'll talk about Greg Brown more at some point, but like the thing that staggered me most in this game was Abilene Christian was demolishing them on the glass, just wrecking them, like totally, on the offensive glass. They had 18 offensive rebounds. They rebounded 41% of their missed shots. They took, in this game, 67 shot attempts. Texas took 20, or 40, I'm sorry. 22-point attempts, 23-point attempts. They took 40. There's a... T- 27 shot difference in terms of field goal attempts in this game in part that's because texas turned the ball over 23 times in part it's because texas only had five offensive rebounds greg brown i don't want to say his only skill but by far his best skill is rebounding the fact that he couldn't get on the court when this team just desperately needed somebody come to come in and crash the glass says a lot i think about where texas was with him by the end of the year yeah unfortunately so um yeah that's a it's i i guess i will have him as a like i don't know if he's a first round pick i'm just gonna be honest with you i do not know if he is a first round pick Mm, i i'm totally in agreement with you i I still think he goes in the first to somebody crazy athleticism really good rebounder like has all of the tools that you're looking for I, i just i don't know that he showed enough this year to like really have faith in it all right Let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Cam Thomas last year real quick bef- to finish out the first rounder. So Cam Thomas took approximately a billion shots in the first in second <laughs> Seems rounds. Low. Yeah, um, that might be yeah an understatement. He had zero assists on what was it? You sh- you shared it with me earlier, so I'll give you the he was, he, what was uh, it? Twenty points, ten for twenty three shooting, zero assists last game. Love it, love it so much. the The epitome of a Cam Thomas basketball game. Uh, the 30 points was great. He, he was fun to watch. He can heat it up like almost nobody else in college basketball. He doesn't do anything else. And I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't either. And the game plan for St. Bonaventure, that first game was like book night, collapse the lane, force him to take tough shots. So he got them to start picking up fouls, and he ended up going 11 for 13 for the free throw line. He's good in those pick and rolls with those side dribble handoffs to allow him to get ahead of steam. He's like a dangerous scorer. He, despite the volume, despite the misses, he was below 50% shooting on each game. When it leaves his hand, you just have like a sinking feeling, if you're betting the other side of it, that the ball is going to go in. Yep. And and that, as a guy probably off the bench as a scorer, if he can hone in some of those shots and not force as much, it's the offensive pop that a lot of playoff teams could use in that 25 to 30 range. We had him probably a little too high earlier i would say late first the lack of passing makes me think it's going to be hard for him to go higher than that yeah and defense uh he is <laughs> and defense and passing. Oh boy. Yeah. he's a he's a non-factor on that end um I, I don't know where he's gonna end up you could like uh penny said you could sell me late lottery you could sell me second round at this point uh he's uh, early on i thought there was a chance he was like 
mini Jemias Ramsey, potentially. Uh, he's not that. He's definitely better than Jemias. I think he probably will go in the first round. But I, there, there's enough concern there in terms of, will he have the ball enough in his hands to where it's worthwhile to draft him, basically given the nothing else that he provides across the court? Okay. Yeah, but, but, but 57 points in two games. So there, yeah. there is value in that, too. There's real value in it. And he is a great yeah. scorer. Like a... Like we talk about, like he's a better scorer than James Booknight for sure. Yeah, right? no, he was first in the country for freshmen, right? Yeah, like he's he's a better scorer than James Booknight. It's just Booknight actually defends, and there's like a crazy motorcycle person. There's a motorcycle show, I guess. Yeah, it's. Love uh, it. Let's I'm do not it. watching games tonight. There's a motorcycle show outside. Fantastic! This is what happens. Um, Okay, let's talk about some of the smaller school guys, and then we'll finish on uh, Buddy Beheim. So the story of the weekend, it felt like to me, was Jason Preston with Ohio. And part of that story was that he's this like um, incredible story that we've talked about before, was... Uh, like averaged two points per game in high school, did a prep year, you know, sent out his own tapes while he was doing the prep year. Uh, was it to a to a JUCO? What was it? It wasn't a JUCO. He was planning on going to UCF, and yes, then going, um, and then he was like, guys from his his school, his neighborhood, his town were like, hey, we're playing AU tournaments this weekend. You want to come? That's he right. goes and he plays, and somebody says, hey, why don't you go to prep school? And it just kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, and he sends out his own tapes, one of which was the Bulls at Ohio, and uh, Bulls is in and recruits him and brings him to Ohio. So I want to separate these conversations. I love the Jason Preston story. I think he's awesome. I think he's one of my favorite college players to watch in the country right now. Uh, He is great. I don't know how this works at the NBA level, and it feels like there's a big push right now for him to be like the NBA prospect who like jumps up onto boards, the Malachi theory guy, right? We're calling it the theory now, not the Malachi effect. Uh, Malachi theory. <laughs> well, once who, it was confirmed by Buddy Bayham, but yeah, college yeah. coach said it's not the effect anymore. It's the theory. I said, you're yeah. probably right. So like, it feels like the big push is for Jason Preston to be the Malachi theory guy. Um, I don't see that with him. Um, and it's not disrespect to him, but I think he's a great player, but we saw it over the weekend with both Virginia and Creighton. Virginia even like stopped him from getting into the paint consistently as like a pick and roll driver, right? And then Creighton, like he couldn't get anywhere. And the reason for that was that Creighton has three guys in Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop, and Denzel Mahoney who can all switch and can all like guard pick and rolls pretty easily is like pseudo bigs right they're all like between six five and six seven so they're not really bigs but they play bigs for creighton he went one for ten from the field four points seven assists but four turnovers and like nine rebounds like it it was fine across the board like he provides a lot of value because his feel for the game is just different like he thinks the game at such an incredibly high level i just don't think he has the handle and the athleticism to make it work at the point in, in the nba and it sucks like i feel I want Jason Preston to work. I just don't know that I see it, unfortunately. I'm more worried about his offense. Uh, I'm sorry. The the offense is what puts me paused because you said Denzel Mahoney on him against Creighton. He's 6'5 with a 6'11 wingspan. He played them tight. It was limited help. They dared other players to, to beat them, which they didn't. They were very physical on screens and switches. They played more of a smash mouth style. 
and Creighton defensively, they were, they were fine playing that way in the half court. And you said he's one for 10 shooting. He has four turnovers. And then on the other side, defensively, he like couldn't stop Mitch Ballack or, or guys down the other end. It was Virginia, what they were coming off. It was, it was a hard matchup for them anyway. You had the COVID pause. They practiced like the morning before in Charlottesville and flew out. You didn't know who was playing. And the Ohio team was all gassed up to, to play. It was a popular pick as a as an upset. And then Creighton kind of cracked their knuckles and said, let's let's play this way. And he had a he had a difficult time. And I'm not trying to be a hater and, and crush the NBA dream because maybe somebody sees something in it. I just, it, it wasn't there for me as this popping prospect that's going to suddenly become the 28th pick in the draft. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the guy that I'm more interested in than Preston is Max Aismas out of oral roberts what did you think of the oral roberts run this weekend the oral roberts thing is you kind of tipped it off a, a few weeks ago i went back and watched some tape watched maybe like a, a game and a half mostly just the offensive possessions the way ace miss played out of pick and roll i in the scoring stuff that he was able to do in a banner what they were trying to do out of the two-man game it wasn't like a shock for me i thought that they would cover i didn't know if they would win so when they did knock off Ohio State, it's like, all right, fine, like there's a good win. And then they beat Florida. It's like, well, now the, the, the boulder is rolling down the hill here a little bit. He's just so tough. Like, he, he gets his points how he wants to. And it, when they start going to the pick and roll, when you guard it a different way, then O'Banner's hitting knockdown threes and, and he shoots 40-something percent from the three-point line, it, it's a, a tough place to, to get yourself out of. So somehow they're a 15 seed. They were they hit this little lull. They weren't great later. Uh, I'm sorry, toward the middle of the year, and then the end. They put it all together at the right time. And we've seen with these upsets, when you have an explosive score like a guy like that, the upset is, is much more likely to happen than maybe like uh, a teamish type thing where Winthrop doesn't have that type of firepower from the point guard position. With A. Smith, I think the thing that's hard for me to gauge right now. So he's the Summit Player of the Year, Summit Attorney MVP right now is i mean frankly like he might be the tournament mvp right now right like that's not a hard case to make we think uh him and him and buddy who we'll get to but yeah yeah like it's, it's one of those two or maybe even O'Banner his teammate right yeah. um the thing that is hard for me to gauge is that what paul mills is running on offense is fucking brilliant and he's really good like he's running like a straight up modern NBA style spread pick and roll, set screens thirty feet from the basket, put teams in space, five out shooters, and it puts him in a it puts Aismith in a perfect spot to be able to go do things. It puts him in a spot though that no other prospect really gets the opportunity to perform in. Right? It, it's kind of like whenever do you remember when Michigan had like a bunch of guys that entered the nba and then were considered like kind of busts because like nick stauskas for instance right yeah, I, was, I didn't want to say it he, he played at st mark's around here but yes nick stauskas i remember him yeah like john beeline put nick stauskas in an unbelievable position to succeed because there were constant driving lanes constant pick and roll attack lanes that would open up because they would space five out open the floor he could get to the basket you know, the, the narrative around Stauskas was, oh, my God, he's not just a shooter. He can run some pick and roll like he can actually play. This is how this guy ends up going sixth beyond Vivek 
in the draft I was room. Say, going yeah, Stauskas? Like, Stauskas? Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. But it wasn't there like that big analytical study where they put 30 people in the room and said, we're going to use this equation that says to draft Nick Stauskas. I thought that was part of it too. Right. So I think that there is like a real, like, like Max Aismas right now ha- has like a cheat code going for him on off. Um, in a video game. Paul Mills is kind of the cheat code <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Someone should hire Paul Mills. That guy's really good. Uh, they, um, they, they will, because with, with his success and, and Grant McCausland's success at North Texas and Baylor still running, they're all part of that Baylor tree as former assistant coaches. Yeah, they could end up in the Pac-12 or a bigger place in Texas. Along with Ace Miss and his actual scoring and production, it speaks to opportunity, too. And yep. you have a million people in the transfer portal. They want to go higher. They're not happy. They're not comfortable. Max Acemas wasn't this crazy high-level recruit, but found the right coach, the right offense, and the right style where he's able to do that. You could probably have higher-ranked guys who might be a little bit better a little bit taller, but they want to go to a higher school. He's there, and now they're in the Sweet 16, and there's plenty of other highly regarded, touted prospects, guards, who wish they were in that situation. So that's kind of my, as as the high majors are going to poach the lows and mids, let's also not forget like the lows and mids are, are good for players like that and a chance for those guys to show what they can really do, too. And I think that like it sounds like I'm downgrading with Aismas and Kevin O'Banner as well has done this year and has done in the tournament. And I don't mean to do that. Like you have to make those shots when they come available. And Max Aismas, part of the reason they can run that scheme that they run is because Aismas is so good at coming off of ball screens, being able to fire from 27 feet. Right. And you have to play up on him in the pick and roll. You can't just like go under all ball screens at the college three point line. If you do that, you are dead against Oral Roberts. You are and, your pop, and your pop man has 30-11 against, uh, in, the, in the first one against Ohio State, then 28-11 the next game against Florida. Like, that helps if that's the guy who it's like, do we stop this bowling ball of energy who's coming off the screen or the guy that's shooting over 50% from three? Right. Uh, in the case of A. Smith, I, I kind of think that he is like a real prospect. He's very small. He's very skinny. He's not a great passer, but it's just hard to find guys who can pull up and shoot like this. Like it, it is. Um, I don't think he's like a super high level prospect. I think he should probably go back to school and try and improve his uh, pick and roll playmaking, his passing ability. But he's a prospect. I also think Kevin O'Banner is like a semi real prospect too. By the way, um, anyone who is six foot eight, two hundred twenty five pounds, real essentially big, um, would play the four in the NBA. Um, but can average like 20 and 10 like he has this year and can shoot 47% from three. The shot looks funky, but like if you told me he's the top 100 guy on my board and enters the draft next year, like I I, I don't think I'd be surprised by that. Run it back. I, I'm not we're, – we're bad at, at cursing guys here accidentally. They play Arkansas, who's been great, and the, the way that they're going to try to trap and press and, and heat you up, you hope that – the Oral Roberts guys are still going to be able to run their pick and roll stuff and not have it be blown up. But if those guys go back to school, are we suddenly talking about Oral Roberts as a, a preseason top twenty-five-ish team? Like, oh, I, I think it so. sounds insane, but how do you not? Oh, but but by the way, here's the thing with Florida too. Like Florida played Colin Castleton uh, twenty-nine minutes, Osai Osifo, that big dude, um, sixteen minutes, and then Omar Payne eleven minutes. Like they played. They play two bigs sometimes out there, which yeah, 
that, what are you doing? Where, but like, <laughs> obviously, throughout the year, and much bigger things than basketball. But Keontae Johnson, it's like that's a, a much more beneficial yeah. matchup where he could have powered him up, closed out a little bit, been all over the floor. But you kind of have to play with what guys you have on your bench. Two uh, bigs. No, 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 no. Here, here's the thing. No, don't don't absolve Mike White here. Florida still has. A lineup that they can play. Tyree Appleby, I'm, I'm Trey Mann, not doing this. Yeah. Noah Locke, Scotty Lewis, Anthony DeRuji. You can play small with Florida still. Like Keontae, yes, enormous, th- enormous, enormous loss. And um, I hope Keontae like continues to be healthy and happy in life. And I love that yes, he's no moved forward into coaching. Uh, Florida this year it's really cool I think and to an extent like for Mike White to keep that team together and make the round of 32 and be a seven seed and everything very impressive let's not absolve that like there was a real like adjustment that could be made here and he chose not to do it and actually went the other way Uh, Arkansas will make that adjustment Arkansas will just play Justin Smith down at the five and we'll say beat us beat us with our game plan yeah, beat us with Jalen Tate at six six, Moses Moody at six six, Devontae Davis is tough as shit at six foot three. Beat us, and or Roberts might, but it's a tougher matchup because they can play small in a way that uh, Florida chose not to. Yes, let's move on from there. Yeah. I, I can't crush college coaches. You got to go. Yeah, yeah, you're just like no. We gotta. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we good. gotta stop. We gotta stop. Who's next? Yeah. Um, Buddy Bayheim. I am uh, cautiously in on Buddy Bayheim as an NBA draft prospect. Do you know what? Buddy Bayheim is doing uh, basically over, I think it's his last 10 games. I know it's since uh, the Notre well, Dame game where he dropped like 27 or something ridiculous. I don't 29. know the number now. Syracuse.com had an article that said like midway through the year he was shooting 27% from three. So since then, I don't know. But it, it's got to be insane seeing he was, whatever, 13 for 23 in the tournament. So I'm, I'm guessing it's like 58% or something insane. So Buddy Bayheim in his last nine games is averaging 24.2 points, shooting 52% from the field, and shooting 49% on 10 three-point attempts per game. Yeah. This dude is on fire right now. He well, is a literal flame of well, it's, like the, his, it's the it's the confidence too. Like the confidence yeah. can't be higher right now. He's hitting movement threes coming off screens. He's talking trash. He knows what he's doing. He kept finding himself open in that West Virginia game in the second half. He'd spot in a corner, then rotate high with the drive, and Emmett Matthews for West Virginia got caught going under on a screen once. It's like, forget it. Like, you're not there. He was slow, I think, one for six in the first half of that West Virginia game, and that same Syracuse.com article said that Jerry McNamara is the positions coach and said, look, man, you're the best shooter in the world. Like, just shoot the ball. You'll be fine. It's like, that's right. right. I shoot the ball. And then I don't think he missed again. Right. No, he's unbelievable right now. He is on fire. Um, what, what do we do with this? Like, he is averaging 18 points a game, 40% from three on the year, shooting eight attempts per game. Last year, he was 15 points on eight attempts per game, 37% from three. Like, he's very clearly a hyper elite shooter. Like, there's, there's no case otherwise. What is he as a draft prospect? Because I, I frankly don't know what to do with him, but I kind of want to bet on him because of the work ethic. The shooting and the work ethic you want to bet on is limited off the bounce. He had one charge and one kind of like other finishing transition. Defensively, like all Syracuse guys, and this isn't just a, a knock on him, you don't know when you get outside the zone 
in your man-to-man what the guys look like and, and you wrote a piece today on Syracuse's own it is different there are some man-to-man principles but it's not the same as just checking up and playing man for I don't say 48 minutes because a lot of NBA teams will zone out a little bit but you, you're more required to cover your position on the NBA I'll be honest I don't really even think he has a chance to defend in the NBA like he's six foot then you six and you gotta shoot it like really 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 yeah. high level but he, he's just really skinny but he is, is yeah yeah, like if he was stronger and uh, like a little bit thicker throughout his torso where he could hold up at the point of attack, I would feel a little bit better about it. I, I don't know that I do, though, in this scenario. Like, I, I don't think he's really going to have a shot there. I, I mean, do, do you think differently? No, I, I'm, I'm on board with you. and I'm not trying to, despite it being the last 10 games and not just the two games of the tournament, I'm trying to look it through a a wider lens of when this comes back down to reality or, or if it ever does. And ironically, we talk about the Malachi theory, Malachi effect, and it's happening in the, in the same backyard as Syracuse because this guy is putting together a run of shooting that we're now talking about him. I mean, we didn't take it super seriously. We're running through prospects on the last pod. It's like, do you want to talk about Buddy Beheim? Scores a lot. Yep, next guy. Now he's had 30 and, and 25, and Syracuse somehow, some ways in this Sweet 16. We talked a lot about the Malachi theory. This is the Malachi theory, like on yeah. steroids, I feel like. It, if Buddy Beheim's last name was John Smith, would we feel differently about him as a prospect? Maybe a little bit. He, he probably gets a knock some that it's because the the scheme is more slanted toward getting him shots and touches, which which is warranted. And then you watch the games, and it's like, all right, he has to be good. And they won, what, by two against West Virginia? But he was incredible in that second half and carried them to victory. Like, if he doesn't have 25 points on 6 of 13 for three, they don't win that game. It's, yeah, I I don't know what to do with Buddy. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I, I don't totally know what to do with him. I would like to see him, like, in workouts, though. Like, I would like to see him go against someone in like a different scenario than the Syracuse scheme because the thing about Syracuse too is like early in the year it wasn't just revolving around Buddy and they were not good like they were not a great offensive team like one night Joe Girard would have like a couple of big games a lot of the time it's Quincy Garrier a lot of the time it was the name yeah like Alan Griffin had a few big games and now like Alan Griffin is like playing but not really like one of the critical guys on this team like he played 12 minutes against virginia 15 against san diego state 11 minutes against west virginia because um it's better for them to have rob braswell out there for the defense because they're just connecting uh so much of their offense to buddy Bayheim. um but also like the results are kind of undeniable right like they're a much better team now with buddy running oh, shit. The, the, re- the record it's not close he's also a junior and this year, I don't think really counts. So, yeah. are we looking at at least two more years of him? Like, do the junior, do the senior again? Uh, maybe he declares for the draft and just checks it out. But he could also go back and do this for two more years. And as long as his his dad's still the coach and has retired, you could be looking at a lot more the Buddy Show episodes in the the near future. I, I kind of love it. Like, I, I want to see Buddy back in college again next year because I think that, by the way, this guy didn't even make like all ACC, which is crazy to me. Um, he made the all ACC tourney team, but didn't make the all ACC team, which uh, 
there were a lot of good players in the ACC this year, but Buddy's last little run uh, in the tournament or in the final few games here, I would have thought uh, pushed him into that mix, uh, especially given the fact that he averaged 16 a game in conference. Again, I think if his name was John Smith, he would have made the all ACC team. Possibly. And these are the the March stories that really make the month what they are. And you, you look at their bracket, who's left. You have an eight seed in Loyola, Chicago. You have a 12 seed in Oregon State. You have an 11 seed in Syracuse and a two seed in Houston. That's that's craziness. That's madness. And I, I'm glad it's, it's played out this way, too. It's not just one, two, three, four. Okay. I don't think we're going to do transfer portal portal stuff today. Like it's it's too much. No, we'll table we'll table that away. People are driving or, or doing whatever. Like these guys are just talking about everything right now. Right. Yeah. Having said that, what movies have you watched, Matt Penny? Give me give me some <laughs> movies. Man, I'm, I'm waking up trying to get my notes in order to be prepared for this stuff than just watching games all day. I, I'm going to empty out the the DVR tonight for my. I'm, I'm guessing it's Married at First Sight's all I have in there. But there's been no movies between the last watches because we had the – I think we did a pod like Tuesday or Wednesday, and then we had the first four, and then it's been nonstop hoops. I found some time to watch the Snyder Cut. Uh, it is, you, so uh, you, found, you found a lot of time then? I did it over two sittings, I will say that. Okay. I didn't find Fair. like four hours straight to watch the <laughs> Snyder Cut. Um, much better than Justice League, I will say that. Uh, it's very long and there is a lot of superfluous unnecessary material in there but it's pretty good like i was i was impressed i'm glad that Zack snyder got to show his vision i also watched a movie called honest thief last night with liam neeson (laughs) well i I was gonna say what time because i'm i'm like fighting it and and doing the trick where like all right i'll just close my eyes during the commercials i'll wake back up but then i forget it's like one in the afternoon there so you have the whole day after the the twelve right. thirty game ends with kansas and usc right I, I still have to write a lot like i like i said like i've run three three thousand word things the last two days so like i've been finding time to write um afterward having said that i'm also terrified of the trade deadline that's about to come up because i know i'm gonna have to write <laughs> off <of> that um, <laughs> that's why we're doing this right now yeah right um honest thief if you're looking for a really dumb like <sighs> almost like heist not heist thriller movie with liam neeson like doing what liam neeson does pretty good like i i I enjoyed my time watching that movie it's like 90 minutes you don't have to think much about it it's pretty good he's really settled into being liam neeson which i love too yeah no i'm the taken guy it's all good yeah exactly and this one was like a little bit older version of the taken guy Uh, a little bit more reflective like it was it was good (laughs) i enjoyed it um, I'm trying to think. I Did I watch a, anything I, else? I need dumb right now. My my brain is fried too. Yeah, Honest Thief is really dumb. Like you should watch it. Like it's well, you gave me dumb that and dumb Nicholas Cage, so it's it'll be a, uh, a battle of. <laughs> don't watch the Nicholas Cage movie. Oh, you just said you said to watch it. Yeah, okay. Honest Thief takes a uh, takes the number six spot in the in the draft for us. Yeah, don't. Yeah, seriously. Uh, with the number six pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> take the Snyder Cut. Did they just draft the, the movie? movie? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yes, we did. There is no one else worth drafting. Penny, tell the people what's going on in your life. Tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, what's going on in my life? I'm, I'm hoping to sleep more than five hours tonight. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. A lot of uh, more draft stuff brewing, trying to keep our finger on the pulse of the NCAA tournament. So uh, give us a follow. Don't yell at us too much. And uh, we'll do this again soon. All right. Matt Penny, 
currently has 1,123 Twitter followers. That's follower shaming. It was better. It was better, man. When we first started, it was dark. It was dismal. No, for the love of God, people follow Matt Penny. He but those are, rules. But those are loyal. Those are loyal followers who always engage and and throw snidey, Snyder cutish comments at us <laughs> back and forth. I appreciate those guys as much as the the bots that are out there with the people with a quarter million followers. People, please go follow Matt Penny. He's the best, the absolute best at what he does on the internet. Go also subscribe to the Athletic. We have a one dollar deal right now. Like. You cannot find a better thing. Click on one of my articles, hit that subscribe button. You're not going to find a better time to go and subscribe to The Athletic. I've got I've written about Syracuse. I've written a mock draft recently. I've written a little Cade Cunningham interview. I've got something coming on Evan Mobley soon. I've got uh, transfer and recruit rankings up right now. There's a million different things that are up on the internet over at The Athletic right now. Go subscribe. Uh, We will be back later this week with more, but until next time, we will talk soon.